In the name of God, the life-giving, all-loving, and incarnate word, amen. Have a seat, y'all. So I've been a bit obsessed the last couple weeks with the work of a certain writer and poet. And I don't know if y'all are people who kind of go through these obsessive phases as well. I think it might be have to do with disposition or personality type or maybe DNA. But even as a little kid, I would go through these phases where it'd be all Indiana Jones all the time for three weeks. Or all Beatles and the entire catalog, even all that anthology stuff. I would just get obsessed. And this most recent obsession is with a writer and a poet named Ross Gay. Ross Gay teaches at the University of Indiana in Bloomington, and his body of work is such a refreshing change from the notes of cynicism and snarkiness and judgmentality that so often characterize our contemporary culture. Ross Gay won a National Books Critics Circle Award for a book of poems titled, get this, The Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. He wrote a beautiful book of essays, or essayettes, as he describes them, called the Book of Delights, where from his 42nd to his 43rd birthday, he practiced writing a delight each and every day. And that could have been the cup of cortado with a little drop of honey and the vegan donut at his favorite cafe. It could have been the sight of seeing two people holding a laundry bag together, walking down the road, or someone tapping him on an airplane, the stewardess, and saying, here you go, man, two extra bags of pretzels. (laughs) And what Ross Gay witnesses to is that the more he started noticing delights, the more he started to cultivate a delight radar. He started to build up a delight muscle and see the ways that the miraculous was breaking through the mundane in his midst each and every day. Well, my latest obsession has been this book of essays called Inciting Joy, and I wholeheartedly recommend it. I know that pretty much every relative and friend in Gracie and Mai's uh, life is going to be getting this in their stocking this year. And Ross Gay writes about all of the different ways that joy carnates itself within our midst. And there are essays about sitting at his father's bedside as he dies of kidney failure. There are essays about Ross Gay being a college athlete, a football player, and and moments of tenderness within this sort of odd masculine context as he and his friends went through this kind of warlike experience together. There are meditations on the economics and the ethics that get set up in a pickup basketball game or at the skate park. And what impresses me so much about these essays is the way that Ross Gay defines joy. For him, joy isn't the absence of sorrow or pain or suffering or struggle, but rather he says that joy is what emanates from us when we help carry one another's sorrows. What emanates from us when we help carry one another's sorrows 
He says that sorrow and suffering are an inevitable part of the human condition, and y'all don't need me or a poet to tell you that, but that joy exists and exudes from us when we turn away from ourselves and toward other people and help them lift that sorrow and carry it for just a little while. I can't resist sharing just a little bit of Ross Gay's writing to begin this sermon and as a way into reflecting on the meaning of Advent and what it has to teach us about joy. So if, if you would uh, bear with me, I'm going to give you just a brief passage from the gospel according to Ross Gay. And it's about half a page, but it has a chipmunk so that should be delightful. Just stay with me, and you're, you're, it's okay to laugh at this as well. So here's how he begins one of his essays, and he's talking about being on his college campus in Bloomington, Indiana. He says, Yesterday, leaving my office on campus, which is, incidentally, a pretty campus with a pawpaw grove and persimmon trees and service berries everywhere and bunnies galore and squirrels tame enough to eat from your hands and an annual lingering conference of crows in the woods just outside my building that is so loud that in the dark walking through or riding my bike, I'm suddenly in a different country, perhaps a different age, Game of Thrones times. And then he says, I noticed one day a chipmunk leap out of the woods, skittering across the limestone courtyard. It approached a six or so foot wall, which, if it happened more slowly, not on chipmunk time, but say on human time, or even maybe bunny time, definitely turtle time, I would have thought something like, there goes a chipmunk toward a wall. Or maybe even something like, there goes a chipmunk toward an unscalable six or so foot wall, sheer with nary a paw hold to be found. And this chipmunk, in more or less the time it took me to gasp, ran directly up that sheer limestone wall. Then the critter perched on the ledge, looked around, saw me, maybe winked, then dove into some leaf litter. So he captures this beautiful little moment in this wonderful, mellifluous language, and then he looks around and notices how there are other students and faculty members there observing this chipmunk scaling the wall, but they all have their cell phones out trying to take pictures of it. And he then goes on to say, how many real-life chipmunks scaling sheer limestone walls do we miss when we're watching videos on our cellular telephones of chipmunks falling off walls. He asked, could we please not look it up? Could we please take fewer pictures? Could we please just be here together for a sec without documenting that we were? Can we just be here together for a sec without documenting that we were? I swear to you, life is still life even when you don't take a picture of it. I don't care what you ate for breakfast. I'm sure the baby is cute, but not as cute as the chipmunk right in front of my face. 
So I don't offer this excerpt as a diatribe against using cell phones. I mean, I'm utterly dependent on this tiny little computer screen in my pocket. So I'd be wholly hypocritical if I were going to launch into some sort of excoriating rant against cell phones. But I do think Ross Gay's lens of seeing the world as shot through with luminous significance is an invitation for us to lean in a little bit closer to slow down and to pay attention, which in fact is not just what these readings for this Sunday, but really what all of Advent is about. Advent is about witnessing to the ways in which miracles are being uncovered in front of our eyes each and every second. Every moment is an uncovering. So Advent, as you probably know, you probably heard some preacher say, comes from this word, this, these Latin words, advenio, which means to come toward. And we celebrate this, we're this season of joyful expectation where we await the coming toward us of Jesus in the incarnation. And we also prepare our hearts to meet Jesus. Jesus comes toward us and we go forward to meet Jesus. But Advent, if you pay attention to the readings, is also about something a little bit more intense and kind of perplexing. If you read these, if you look at these readings, they're all about the end times, they're intense, they're all about expectation, but they're not always that pleasant of readings. In fact, these readings are what are commonly described as apocalyptic readings, These are apocalyptic readings, and when we say apocalyptic in a biblical context, we mean something a little bit different than how we use it in our popular parlance and vocabulary. For example, we might talk about the year 2020 as being entirely apocalyptic. We had a worldwide pandemic, we had unarmed civilians being killed um, almost daily, it seemed, in the news cycle. We had climate catastrophe to reckon with. We have all sorts of things. We feel like the world is falling apart and we call it apocalyptic. But the word apocalypsis in Greek simply means an uncovering, an unveiling. And it gets used in different ways in the Hebrew scriptures and then in the New Testament. In the Hebrew scriptures, writers like Isaiah, whom we heard from this morning, are talking about the necessity of uncovering the injustice and corruption that's gotten entrenched in their contemporary society. So in the beginning with the Jewish people, there's a covenant with God, and God calls these people into a covenant of love, a relationship of love in which all people are celebrated as made in God's image. People are charged to care for the poor, the widowed, the orphaned, and the immigrant. And by Isaiah's time, there's corruption among the religious authorities. And the emphasis is put more on right worship rather than right living. And so Isaiah and the other apocalyptic writers are asking their people to wake up. They're saying, unless you reorient your lives toward loving God and loving one another, something horrible and tragic will befall the nation, which of course happens with the Babylonian captivity. Jesus sort of expands that ethical dimension in his apocalyptic imagination even more. For Jesus, every moment is apocalypse. 
scholars might describe the way that Jesus lives as living in what they call an inaugurated apocalypse. Somehow the end times, when God is going to put everything to right, have already been initiated through the incarnation. When God breaks into this world to show us how deep and far-reaching God's love is for us, this process of apocalypse, of uncovering, is initiated, but... It's up to us to help bring that reality fully into fruition. We're meant to help co-create with Jesus this new reality of love and grace and liberation for all people. And that's what Advent's about. Jesus inviting us into seeing the fact that everything in creation is pregnant with the reality of God. God is breaking in in each and every moment, and we're meant to see how things are uncovering this reality of God's love each and every day. I don't know about you, but that's kind of simple to understand intellectually, but very difficult for me to put into practice. I typically want my moments of spiritual transformation to happen in very dramatic ways, in sort of moments of epiphany and peak experiences. I want to be standing on top of a mountain or enjoying a perfect powder day or reading a beautiful poem or seeing a concert of live music. I want to be living in those high places of transcendence. But what Christmas and Advent is all about is seeing that the miraculous gets manifested in the mess of the manger. Every single moment, there's an opportunity to realize something of Christ's invitation to love more fully. About a month after I joined St. John's staff, I walked into my office and found a note on my desk. And this note was written suspiciously in what looked like our rector Jimmy Bartz's handwriting. <laughs> and this is what the note says, although I've kind of memorized it by now. Learn to live well and comfortably in the valley before climbing anything else. Achievement lives on the peaks. Contentment lives in the valley. Achievement lives on the peaks. Contentment lives in the valley. What Jimmy was inviting me into is I think what Jesus invites us into, to see in the face of every person around us the opportunity to share a little bit of love, the opportunity to, as Ross Gay says, bear someone else's sorrow. True joy, y'all, at least for me, never comes from becoming overly absorbed in my own ambitions, my own desires, my own perceived needs, or ways of gratifying my ego. It always comes from turning outside of myself and tending to the needs of someone else. And if we look at Jesus' life, this is exactly what we see modeled. Jesus never wakes up and sets some grand ambition for himself in the day. He simply moves through the world and responds in love to those around him. And in a couple minutes, when we do our big reveal, we're going to give you some tools for helping cultivate just a little bit of space and a little bit of intentionality around this process of turning outwards, of sharing more love with one another and bearing one another's sorrows. Because in the end, y'all, that's what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. 
That's what sets us apart as a religious community, as opposed to being someone who says, I'm, quote, spiritual but not religious. The word religion literally means to re-ligament, to bind together, and we all are bound together in relationship and community. And one of the amazing things about church community is we're here together even though we might not always choose to be friends with one another. Every Sunday, we're sitting in pews alongside people who may not be the people we would naturally choose to move through this pilgrimage of life with, but here we are in relationship, and being in relationship calls us to love one another and to bear one another's sorrows as well. So this Advent, I invite you to join me in getting a little bit apocalyptic in thinking of ways to love and serve Christ and other people and to bear one another's sorrows just as Jesus loves us and bears our sorrows alongside us too. Amen.